You guys have a seat. I guess this is the time for all the kiddos as well to head back to their area. So I'll see y'all later. (laughs) No, it's uh, good to be together this morning. My name is Colby Cuevas, and I'm a grateful recovering drug addict. What's up, y'all? Some uh, folks in here know me, and, uh, and I know a few folks in here, but for those that don't, I'll give you a little background about who I am. I'm the recovery pastor of Thrive, the recovery and healing ministry of the Orchard. We meet on Sunday nights at 420. 4:20 is a very important time for people in, in recovery. Uh, but we meet every Sunday for worship and groups afterwards, and we eat together and we play together and we learn how to do life together. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of my credentialing that allows me to be on the stage today that maybe can help you fit me into some context in your head and some boxes that you have. Um, I've been walking with Jesus now in recovery one day at a time for just over 12 years. And I, well, I emphasize the one day at a time part because that's what it is. It's what it is for all of us, no matter what we're in recovery or healing from. Uh, they say that one day is the lifetime, and a lifetime is one day. Something in Sanskrit says that somewhere. But, uh, but I'm grateful to be here with you this morning. Uh, and let me just tell you, too, and, and share with you that I'm no sage on a stage. That I'm no sage on a stage, that I'm no expert when it comes to the recovery and healing journey or process. I think we all have some, something to contribute from our own experience, strength, and hope. And so I'm just going to share a little bit with you about what I've learned and am still learning uh, as we're all students and learning what it means to be students of Jesus together, uh, to be his disciples, his apprentices. So uh, that's kind of where I come from. I've got a wife, a beautiful wife, just celebrated nine years together uh, last month. And we have two, thank you, that's a true, that's just as much of a miracle as 12 years of sobriety. Um, But because, partly because this last two and a half years, we've uh, had two little youngins running around with us, twins, a little boy and a little girl, Oliver and Evie, that have kept us very busy. But uh, Brittany and the kids wish they could be here this morning, but because of the the weather changing and the allergies that the little ones get, um, and if you're a mom, you can relate, she just did not want to get out. having to deal with them, you know, those two little knuckleheads. Uh, so she say, stays at home, but she sends her greetings as well. Uh, if you have a Bible or a mobile device, I'd encourage you to get that out or turn it on. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5 this morning. Luke chapter 5. While you're getting there, I'm very grateful for my wife in many respects. One, because she helps me work on my sermons. Two, because she helps me know how to dress. Uh, have you all enjoyed this changing weather? It's been really nice. I don't know if I could have taken one more week of, of just Sahara-like weather. Um, however, I was a little preemptive in my dress this morning. I was telling someone that I got all my clothes out laid out. I needed to iron my shirt, partly because it's been in the closet since last winter. Uh, but I got on a long-sleeve weather winter shirt and started ironing the wool, you know, and put it on. And my wife, Brittany, said, no, 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 no. Go pick out a different shirt. So So we're going to be in Luke chapter 5 together. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. Going through verse 32. These are the words of Luke, the physician, the disciple of Jesus, who's writing 
about Jesus' early ministry and his calling of his followers, his disciples. Hear these words. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for this gathering, this body of believers. We thank you for your church. We thank you, God, that left to our own devices and left alone, we can't get very far. But God, I thank you that you draw us together and that you shape us together because the spiritual journey alone is dangerous. So you bring us together, God, and you prepare us in a safe place to receive a dangerous message instead. And so I pray, God, that the power of your gospel through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit would so work in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds during this time together so that we would leave this place different than when we came, that we would go back into our families and our jobs and our schools different this week than last week. God, that you would just gently but firmly allow us to follow you more closely, to love you more sweetly, and to serve you more clearly. God, we love you and pray all this in the sweet and strong name of Jesus. And all God's kids said, amen. So I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people that hate optical illusions. Hate optical illusions. I mean, if you remember from back when your high school years, college years, I don't know how old most of you are, but I think they started around the 60s, where they had these pictures hanging on a wall of a poster, and it was real psychedelic and trippy looking, and and it was an optical illusion. And if you knew the right trick, if you knew the secret of how to cross your eyes just right, of how to get so close and then slowly back away and turn your head just so, You could see something that was there that no one else could see. The optical illusion would just come out at you. I hate optical illusions, partly because I can never see what anybody else saw. I hated the way that I could never get my eyes just right or my distance from the poster just so. I can never quite see the picture that everyone else did. I hate optical illusions. And yet I lived in an optical illusion for so long. There are other optical illusions that People talk about or experience the optical illusion of a mirage. If you're walking through the desert and you're really hot, you're really thirsty, all of a sudden the way the sun hits the sand just so in the distance creates the picture of this beautiful lake, this oasis just waiting for you to go and to drink water to your heart's delight. And then you walk that way and you're even more lost than you were before. Like the optical illusions that happen that are real that we can see also happen to our hearts, also happen to our lives. 
I lived in optical illusion for many years, and I can still live one today. I lived in the optical illusion that, man, if I could just get it right, if I could just see it right, if I could just do what everyone else wanted me to do, then I would figure this thing called life out. But I never did, and so instead I found something that would change the way I thought, or change the way I felt, or change the way I interacted with people. Chemicals, drugs, alcohol, relationships, chasing one thing after another to change me because I couldn't see what I thought everyone else could see. Now, granted, I didn't grow up in church and I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And even today, being one of the pastors, the shepherds of the church and, and helping guide people into a life of faith, I can still become attached, addicted to my own illusions, to my own optical illusions. This morning, I want to share with you a little bit about addiction and recovery. It's an, an issue and a, a topic, a platform, if you will, uh, that's very near to dear to my heart uh, because it's partly one that I've lived and continue to live with people, but it's also something I believe that we all know a little bit about. If we're honest, we all know someone that's probably been in addiction or is going through addiction on the grand scheme of addictions, I mean drugs and alcohol, gambling, eating disorders, disordered eating, sex and love addiction, you name it. But there are all ways of being addicted that aren't the ones that society deems bad, right? We can all be addicted, and from now on I'll use the word attached, to something. A relationship, uh, the way a relationship's supposed to be, a way of thinking, you know, the uh, attachment to my way of thinking, I'm right and everyone else is wrong. <laughs> no one has that in here, right? <laughs> this is the attachment, i.e. the addiction that we can all experience on a day-to-day -day basis. So, therefore, I want to help you understand that we're all in need of recovery. That we're all in need of the journey of recovery and healing that Jesus invites us into. You see, Jesus taught and he preached and oftentimes his teaching and preaching led to healing. And oftentimes Jesus just healed because the healing was teaching enough for some people. And so this is what Jesus does for us. This is what the life of faith looks like. The experience of recovery and healing that I've experienced. And it's one that I've found time and time again gets me out of my illusions. My false ways of being and seeing into a way that is true, that is truly right, that is God's perspective. They said that you can actually take all of Jesus' teachings and boil it down to one phrase. One phrase. We find that phrase in the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes. It's the very first Beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I don't know about you, but my heart ain't purified. <laughs> but that's what Jesus is doing. He's working to purify our hearts so that we might see God, so that we might see rightly instead of the optical illusions that we create. I love the way that English author W.H. Huden wrote when he said, and he hit the nail on the head, he said, we would rather be ruined than changed. We would rather die in our dread than climb the cross of the present and let our illusions die. Let me say that last sentence. We would rather die in our dread than climb the cross of the present and let our illusions die. 
So in some way, shape, or form, we find ourselves attached to certain ways of being, doing, seeing, relating that cause us to not live in the present. It causes us to not live in the moment where God is found. And for us, we'd rather get out of the present and live in the past or try to get to the, pre- or the future. But that's not where God, God's at all times at all places, but God for us is experienced in the present. And so to get into the present is the experience of, of healing, the experience of recovery. I don't know about y'all, and there, there are these things called coping mechanisms that I'm really good at. And you have all different kinds of coping mechanisms. We could all raise our hands to figure out which one is more enjoyable to the rest of us. Uh, you don't have to do that this morning. But when it comes to rationalization, minimization, justification, like there are all these different kinds of, of coping with the way we think life should be. And when it doesn't happen that way, we drop back into our coping mechanisms. Denial is not just a river in Egypt. Uh, my favorite, my favorite coping mechanism is avoidance. Now, I'm not just talking about procrastination, because I can do that too. I'm not talking about just putting something off. I'm talking about just avoiding it. You know, like the kind of way you might see me avoid you in the grocery store. Like, you see me come down the aisle, and then all of a sudden I forgot something else on this aisle. Like, avoiding things for me keeps me from dealing with the things that I truly need recovery from. I'm just a master avoider. I just want to avoid the pain at all costs and not realize that pain is the foundation of all spiritual growth. That if I want to grow in my recovery and healing journey in my walk with Jesus, then I have to learn what it means to love and to love is to suffer. How do I learn to love and suffer at the same time? These are situations that I'm faced with on a day-to-day basis in Thrive, through Thrive. And yet, I love how simple and straightforward Jesus is. How simple and straightforward He is. Later on, in the book of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus puts out an invitation to all people that would desire to follow Him and be His disciple. In Luke chapter 9, He writes it like this. Then He told them what they could expect for themselves. Anyone who intends to come with Me has to let Me lead. This is the way Eugene Peterson in the message writes it. He says, you're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. Self-sacrifice is the way, Jesus says, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. There's the metaphysical question that I could ask right now and say, all right now, find yourself. (laughs) Well, find yourself, great, let's find ourselves, but then let's die to ourselves, pick up our crosses and follow Jesus. Die to the illusions that we see before us all the time. Jesus never said once to his disciples or to us to worship him. And yet we put a lot of stock in that phrase, to worship him. Jesus said instead, follow me. Jesus never said, worship me. He said, follow me. To follow him, to follow his way of life. To follow how he lived in relationship with people. With our parents, with our kids, with our coworkers, with our neighbors. You name it. I love the story in Luke chapter 5 that we read earlier where Jesus calls Levi, also known as Matthew, the one who wrote the first gospel in the New Testament. I love how simple and straightforward Jesus is there too because he says, 
He saw him. He saw him. He didn't see the optical illusion that was around Levi. He saw him. He saw him. He saw him. And he said to him, follow me and be my disciple. Just real simple, straightforward. I would have wanted an explanation there. Like, why should I leave all of this, everything behind and follow you? Like, I'm, I've got it going on pretty good. Like, I'm, I'm a tax collector. I'm making some good money on the side, you know. Up in the taxes on my side, you know. But Jesus said, after he saw him, to follow me. I wonder what happened in that brief exchange where Levi's eyes connected with Jesus' eyes. Did he see something in the Savior's eyes that knew everything he was doing was going to lead him to a life of, of bitterness, resentment, missing it, missing out, not finding his purpose, not finding his reason why he was here. And then he gave him the invitation. The invitation that's available to all of us every single day from the moment we wake up. The one that we thankfully, by the grace of God, get several times a day. Because I woke up this morning, I don't know about you, but I wanted to stay in bed. And yet, he said, follow me. Follow me over to Soma. We're going over there. Okay. To follow me. This is Jesus' invitations. To learn from him. To see how we can see past the deception of our optical illusions. So the first step in the recovery and healing journey for all of us, no matter what your chemical or compulsive behavior, life challenge, relationship struggle, the first step in the recovery and healing journey is to admit our powerlessness. To admit our powerlessness. To admit how we can't fix our situations on our own power. To fix the relationships. To fix the, the biophysiological connections happening in our bodies because of the chemical we're taking. We can't fix it on our own. We can't fix that job situation, that marriage situation, that kid situation, that parent situation, that retirement situation, that financial situation, whatever it is, we can't fix it on our own. You can try. You can keep trying. Come back and tell me how's that going for you. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So we can try all we want, but it's only going to lead to more insanity. Or we can admit powerlessness and that our lives have become unmanageable. Step one of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. The 12 steps that are the spirituality of Jesus. Step one, admitting that we're powerless. Admitting that we were powerless and our lives have become unmanageable. Whatever it is in your life that's unmanageable, it's pointing to your powerlessness. The question is, will you see the unmanageability for what it is? Because the powerlessness is just a, a statement of fact. You can't change the reality of what it is. The question is, will you allow the unmanageability to point you to the powerlessness? You see, we can't see what we're not forced to see. I had to be forced to see that I was a drug addict and alcoholic by going to treatment after going to jail. <laughs> I couldn't see until I was forced to see. And the unmanageability was, was running rampant in my life year upon year after creating a collateral of wake behind me. But it wasn't until the unmanageability pointed me to my powerlessness and my ability to admit by the grace of God that I was powerless 
that something finally could change. So I admitted my powerlessness, which is the real dignity of the human reality. It's the real dignity of the human experience to admit our powerlessness. So for those of us who aren't addicts or alcoholics or struggle with chemical imbalance, um, we are addicted or attached to other things. And oftentimes in the church, it looks like just helping someone. Like we just got to help them until we can get them right, until we can get them fixed, so that eventually us helping them will be us helping ourselves because we can't help them. Does that make sense? So a person's unmanageable in our lives, and they're doing whatever, addicted or, or running around or whatever, but we're going we're gonna to help them. We're going to fix them. Because when we do, because they couldn't on their own, right? So that when we fix them and help them, then it'll help us. It'll fix us. In the world of recovery, we call that codependency. We call that enabling. And we need recovery from that just as much too in the church today, in the society that we live in. And yet this is where the grace of God meets the road, to admit our powerlessness. My wife very rarely quotes scripture to me because she hates when I quote scripture to her. But I was walking out of the door this morning, and she could tell I just wasn't in my chippery mood on Sunday morning. And she said, Colby, just remember, when you are weak, he is strong. Like, yes, I just need that reminder every day that when I am weak, he is strong. Because the grace, his grace is sufficient for me. So this past several months, I've been through an experience that I would not wish on my worst enemy, and that's buying a vehicle. <laughs> it's a terrible experience, uh, unless you're prepared for an onslaught of phone calls from used car salesmen and, and just driving around trying to reason with them and get your price. But, so I spent about a month preparing, getting the right truck figured out, getting the right vehicle figured out, and I finally went with my father-in-law to go drive some trucks, test drive some trucks, and Man, I, I'm telling y'all, when I get fixed on something, I get fixed on something. I'm addicted to buying a truck, all right? So I finally get this truck, and I finally drive off feeling the proud owner of a truck. But you know what? Man, every truck needs some customization. Every truck needs to be customized, right, to make it your truck to stand out from everybody else. So listen, don't try this at home. Don't do as I say. Do as I say, not as I do. Um, so I, I, I'm realizing, like, this truck's looking good, but it's kind of hot, you know, in this front seat, it's because these windows, man, they're just too clear. I need some tint. I need some tint on these windows. So I call around and get some prices, and I call this one place. I won't say their name. But I say, how much is it to tint the front two windows on my truck to match the back two windows and the back glass on my truck? And they say, well, it depends. Do you want legal or illegal? <laughs> you should not have said that. So I, I'm, I'm preparing, you know, figuring out how am I going to do this. I talked to a buddy recently after that conversation, and he said, you know, listen, I just got, my, uh, I just got pulled over recently, and a police officer uh, asked me what the tent was on my windows because he couldn't shine his light through it. So he told me I had to get it fixed. But he didn't know that I could go get an, uh, an optometrist to write me a permission form to keep in the glove box saying that I need darker windows because my eyes are bad. So, you know, light bulbs going off again. <laughs> okay, okay. So a couple days later, uh, I go and I get some tent on my windows. And I walk up to the counter and they say, what would you like, legal or illegal? 
And I'm like, ask me a serious question. Give me illegal. Like, do you know who I am? Just give me the illegal tent, please. Okay. So I drop my truck off. I leave. Come back. Get it. Great. I told Brittany I was going to get my windows tinted, but. So I go pick her up afterwards. And she rides in the car. She doesn't even notice it. Like, most wives or women don't notice those kinds of things. So uh, that's being somewhat stereotypical. I'm sorry. Uh, but she, uh, she just really didn't notice it until later that weekend when she was going through my phone and my text messages and saw a conversation I was having with that guy about getting the optical permission form. And it was a Saturday morning, and I hadn't had enough coffee yet, and I went into the kitchen where Brittany was, and I said, my eyes really hurt, Brittany. I need to go get my eyes checked. And that's when the stuff hit the fan. <laughs> that's when the stuff hit the fan. And we had to come to Jesus that morning, and, and, uh, and I realized that I was doing, yet again, on the outside of my life, what I so often do on the inside of my life. That my outer world reflects my inner world. That I was trying to put tin up. That I was trying to hide. That I was trying to make something look on the outside different from the way it really was on the inside. Instead of just being transparent. Just being honest, just being real. Because that's the invitation that Jesus has for us to be honest, to be transparent, to be real, to be seen, and to see others. This is what the recovery and healing journey does for us is that it helps us see ourselves and others as they truly are, as we truly are, because God has seen us. And we've started following Him. So even though I got the illegal tin on my windows, I'm reminded every time I get in that car, that truck, that I need to be transparent today. I need to be honest today. I need to be real today. Because if my ego left in charge, I'm going to try to run the show. I'm going to try to be in control. Because when it comes down to it, the bottom line of all addiction, of all attachments, is the addiction to power and control. Fill in the blank of whatever chemical or, or, or behavior you want. At the bottom of it, it's our desire, our ego's desire to be in control, to have the power. But when we admit our powerlessness and turn that power over to God, we see ourselves rightly. You know, admitting powerlessness is the only job that adequately lets the ego go. Admitting powerlessness is the only job that adequately lets the ego go. I don't know about y'all, but when I think about admitting powerlessness, my first reaction is, no, no. But it's one of the paradoxes in the spiritual world that when we admit powerlessness, even though it feels no at first, is actually a finally, oh, I don't have to be in control. I don't have to have all the power. And when we admit powerless, what feels like initial defeat is actually victory. Admitting defeat in the spiritual world is actually experiencing victory. Because the way the step one says it in the 12 steps, we admitted we were powerless, past tense. And as we continue to walk the 12 steps, and as we continue to follow Jesus and, and learn his spirituality, a way of living and being in the world, we find a different way of seeing. We find a way that it's actually victorious to admit admit powerlessness, that we can start a life that really is life. So to close, uh, I want to actually 
share a poem with you, a poem that's become very close to my heart and life, and a poem that we're walking through together, actually at Thrive. Uh, We've been walking through it over the last six weeks. We've got six more weeks to go. Um, It's a poem called Breathing Underwater. We're actually teaching people at Thrive how to breathe underwater. Uh, Feel free to come and learn. So this is the experience of what it's like to follow Jesus, like Matthew or Levi, the tax collector, to follow him, to learn a different way of being instead of being taxed because you're so busy trying to tax everyone else. We learn how to live freely, to be ourselves, to free ourselves and to free others. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Now, if you would, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes, kind of take a posture of of receiving. Maybe your hands out in front of you and your feet on the floor. Just allowing yourself to hear these words as a blessing. Allow yourself to see these words in your mind's eye. A poem entitled Breathing Underwater by Carol Billick. I built my house by the sea, not on the sands, mind you, not on the shifting sand, and I built it of rock, a strong house by a strong sea, and we got well acquainted, the sea and I, good neighbors, not that we spoke much, we met in silences, respectful, keeping our distance. But looking our thoughts across the fence of sand, always the fence of sand our barrier, always the sand between. And then one day, and I still don't know how it happened, the sea came, without warning, without welcome even, not sudden and swift, but a shifting across the sand like wine less like the flow of water than the flow of blood, slow but coming, slow but flowing like an open wound. And I thought of flight, and I thought of drowning, and I thought of death. And while I thought the sea crept higher till it reached my door, and I then knew there was neither flight nor death nor drowning, that when the sea comes calling, you stop being neighbors, well acquainted, friendly at a distance neighbors, and you give your house for a coral castle, and you learn to breathe underwater. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that even in the midst of our chasing, after whoever and whatever, that you're always chasing after us. And Father, I thank you that we don't have to chase after you as much as we have to simply be still and receive you. And then to follow you wherever you lead us. So God, I thank you for the way you lead us, the way you guide us, into a life of transparency and honesty and just being real with you and with ourselves. God, I pray that you would give us a greater understanding of what it means to admit our powerlessness. 
that it wouldn't just be a, a funeral song, but that it would be our, our victory march. That we would learn what it means to give up our house for a coral castle and breathe underwater. God, we love you and pray all this in the sweet and strong name of Jesus. And all God's kids said, Amen.